Seltzer Kings Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No, Gavin. No, I'm never, ever going to let you do a nine-part deep dive on Margaret Thatcher. Yes. The following podcast contains... Only I didn't say fudge. And for gosh sake, watch your language. Watch your profanity. Right, I'm sorry. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you decided to celebrate your 400th episode by covering the guy you actually hate, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Blitzone. This is episode 400, win one for the Gipper, part one of Ronald Wilson Reagan, the bet noir of this dumb show. Stay tuned. What the hell are you thinking podcast is brought to you by the Simeon Actors Guild. Who wants you to know? Well, they didn't for the guy. The Simeon Actors Guild, representing great apes, appearing in films and television, have a long history of supporting progressive politics, unions, and freedom for all hominids to live in freedom and dignity. Despite our reluctant appearances in some famous movies with an objectionable human, no Simeon supported with donation or votes in any of his political campaigns, nor any other politicians who enable the kind of hate and repression demonstrated by that former president. We were contractually obligated to appear in those films. The Simeon Actors Guild, we may be apes, but we refuse to be tools for the far right. Why do Oregonians love Reagan for president? I was Republican state chairman in Oregon during our victories of 1966. In 1968, I am for Governor Reagan for president because we need a winner in the Republican Party nationally. Governor Reagan is a proven winner. Because he offers the kind of new, dynamic, creative leadership this country needs. He's the one candidate who can unite the people and the Republican Party in November. Because I believe that he has the leadership and the ability that this country has been lacking. And that this is what it will take to win in November. Because the Republican Party wants and needs a winner. He's already demonstrated his vote-getting ability in the California gubernatorial election. I think he can do the same for president. Do you want a Republican winner in November? Then you want Governor Reagan. On primary day, let's put him on the ticket. Vote Reagan. My parents fucking loved Ronald Reagan. Ah, 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 he said it. Just getting that out of the way. They still fucking love Ronald Reagan. When I post the socials of this episode, I will get a response reminding me that Ronald Reagan saved the Bledsoe family. That's not entirely accurate. I would argue that the Vietnam-era GI Bill, my parents' hard work and struggle while my dad finished college and a fortuitous encounter with an Air Force recruiter, had a hell of a lot more to do with my family rising to solid middle class than anything Ronald Reagan ever did. This is largely because all of that happened before Ronald Reagan ever took office. Why do my parents feel as though they owe Reagan for their hard work and good fortune? Marketing. Marketing. Super. Super. 
Nor was I immune to the marketing of the Gipper during the 84 election when my high school government class assigned a project to explain who you would vote for. Could you vote? Would you like to guess who I supported? Walter Mondale and the Cleveland Indians. No, don't be ridiculous. No one supported Mondale. Mondale was an anthropomorphic manifestation of the color beige. Mondale was so blandly generic that more than half of his campaign stops were performed by an unclothed apartment store mannequin, and no one noticed or cared. Mondale was a political comma, a brief pause in the run-on sentence that was the Reagan Revolution. So, uh, of course, I was a dyed-in-the-wool Reagan kid. I gave a speech in class extolling the virtues of a strong national defense, sound fiscal policy, and how only the Gipper could stand up to the Soviet menace. How? How could you? How could I not? Everyone was saying it. The entire United States was horny on Maine for Ronald Reagan. Four years later, the first presidential ballot I ever cast was for Reagan's number one boy, George Herbert Walker Bush. I was a stand for the Reagan administration. Oh... What happened? Oh, it was the war. I mean, there are a lot of things, but mostly it was the war. I mentioned in episode 393 and 394 that I wasn't exactly convinced by the causes belli of our little adventure in the Persian Gulf. And once I started questioning that, a lot of things seemed a little dubious for the previous dozen years. I wasn't much of a research back then, and probably none of that has changed, but... Uh, I'd learned enough to go that maybe this Reagan guy wasn't exactly what he'd been made out to be. That just maybe he was, uh... Because he's kind of a dick, right? Right? Which is why, for the auspicious episode 400, I'm going to finally dig into why Reagan was such a huge dick. Now, I normally begin with a biography of man, so here's the biography of the man. Born February 6, 1911 in Tampico, Illinois to Jack and Nellie Reagan, he was brought up in a very religious home, the Disciples of Christ, to be specific. Never heard of him. Ah, that's probably because the church was more concerned with doing things that uh, Jesus Christ, if he existed, might actually approve of. They were followers of a social gospel, meaning they applied Christian ethics to social justice issues like economic inequality, poverty, alcoholism, crime, racial tension, slums, unclean environment, and child labor, the lack of unionization, poor schools, and the dangers of war. You know, pretty much the, uh, the total opposite of everything Reagan the president actually stood for. Hell, young Ronald Reagan even invited two black football players from his college teams to stay with his parents when the local hotel refused to let them stay there. Though, in later years, Reagan would claim that he grew up unaware of the race problem in America. After college, he began working as a radio sports broadcaster doing play-by-play -play for the Chicago Cubs. And during spring training in 1936 while traveling to California, Reagan took a screen test and landed a contract at Warner Brothers. In those early years... Reagan was the very definition of a B-list actor until he starred as George Gipp in Newt Rockney, All-American. Rock, someday when the team's up against it, breaks are beating the boys. Ask them to go in there with all they've got. Win just one for the Gipper. Yeah, that's the only line I know from it, even I've never even seen the fucking movie. In 1942, Reagan was on the fast track to stardom by being named one of the top 100 stars of 1941, but then... Things took a turn. What with that whole world war and all. 
Reagan was not one of those Hollywood actors who did genuine hero shit during the war. But that wasn't entirely his fault. He was severely nearsighted, though he would never admit it by publicly wearing glasses. He was actually in the Army Reserve and listed as far back as 1937 as a private in the cavalry, but was quickly bumped up to an officer in the reserve at the rank of lieutenant. He received a deferment from the initial call-ups of early 1942 to finish the film, but once he wrapped that up, he reported for duty. And what did Ronald Reagan do during the war? Well, I shoveled shit in Louisiana. Well, technically, he was shoveling shit in Burbank, and that shit was training films for the Army, of which he did over 400. After the war, Reagan was elected, not to public office, but the president of the Screen Actors Guild. He was more than a hero. He was a union man. Well, let's not start Nancy and his dick just yet. SAG is hardly the AFL-CIO, and Reagan was hardly a staunch representative for his union brothers. When the FBI came calling to asking if Ronnie knew of any commies in the guild, well, Ronnie... You got me blacklisted at Hop Sings? <laughs> she named name. He would testify before the House on American Activities that he was aware of communist activities in SAG, but called the charges of commies in the Screenwriters Guild hearsay. His first stint at SAG ran from 1947 to 1952, and then he would do a second stint as president from 59 to 60. Politically, Ronnie was a new dealer. He called FDR a true hero. I have to pause here just to point out that I took much of this info from his Wikipedia page, and about every third fucking line, someone has added into the page how often Reagan spoke out against racism. Methinks he doth protest too much. He even planned to attend an anti-nuclear rally in 1945, but was supposedly stopped from attending by Warner Brothers. He supported Harry Truman's campaign in 48 and voted the Democratic ticket in the con congressional elections in California. All in all, Ronald Reagan could best be described as a... Uh, He's just another Hollywood liberal big shot. Yeah. And remained so until 1952. What changed? Let's just say that a blowjob is a powerful persuader. And Nancy Davis was allegedly... One of the best blowjobs in Hollywood. Now, what I just said is unsubstantiated and not a little misogynist, but at the same time, fuck Nancy Reagan. Nancy's politics were to the right of Ronnie's from the get-go. She was described as a staunch right-wing conservative. She loved the company of rich, famous people. So Nancy helped him along in his rightward shift. She took him to speeches by ardent anti-communist actors in Hollywood and can credibly be attributed to a big part of Reagan's rightward shift. But you know what else cranked Ronnie's tractor besides that sweet mouth action? Communism. Reagan was terrified of communists taking over America. But more than that, more than anything else, the real thing behind Ronnie's shift to the right was Reagan was no longer a star. Let's be clear. Ronald Reagan, as an actor... It's not very good. Oh, he was a decent enough supporting actor. He could hit his marks and remember his lines, but his his range was uh, limited. If Marlon Brando was a precision sniper rifle, Ronald Reagan was more a... Uh, a BB gun. Quoting from filmcomment.com in a piece written back in 1987, quote, Reagan was clearly not a distinguished actor, though he was a sometimes respectable one. He was just as often an incompetent one. He succeeded as an actor in the theatrical sense of the word precisely because he refused to act in the general sense of the word. He refused to try and impose himself on events to shape them to his uses. Rather, he succeeded because he correctly saw his movie career as a lucky opportunity proffered by rich and powerful men. Men 
more clever than he was. He lived with one of those delicious American fantasies. All he had to do as he saw it was to go along and do everything with him agreeably. Show up on time, learn his lines, submit to the publicity process, and above all, not question the wisdom of their decisions about his career, unquote. Reagan's movies were all banal studio productions written so much, not so much to create art, but to, to hit target numbers for X number of films released in a year. Reagan was pleasant and inoffensive, passably charming, and utterly willing to toe the company line in order to receive a paycheck. None of this makes him objectively a bad person or a bad actor, but it doesn't make him a good one either. Which is why when he made the jump to television in 1954, and Ronnie did not want to do television, at the time it was where the washed up has-beens of the film industry quietly faded away in moderately paid obscurity. But when the only other jobs he could get were nightclub gigs, he signed on to host the General Electric Theater Company on CBS television. Good evening, I am Ronald Reagan speaking for General Electric. Tonight from Hollywood, it is my pleasure to appear in a story entitled The Dark, Dark Hours. Young James Dean, one of the bright new actors in Hollywood, appears with me, and Constance Ford plays my wife on the General Electric Theater. The show was actually kind of good and featured many up-and-coming actors and was well-regarded and well-watched. It aired, aired for nearly a decade. It wasn't the television show that changed the future for old Dutch Reagan. Yeah, that was his actual nickname. They didn't start calling him the Gipper until the 1980s. What changed old Dutch was his side gig for General Electric. Motivational speaking. And I live in a van down by the river. Quoting now from an article on LitHub, quote, Besides hosting the Sunday evening broadcast of GE Theater, Reagan served as a corporate pitchman and roving goodwill ambassador for GE, traveling at least 16 weeks a year. It was this work that drove his metamorphosis from actor to politician. He visited all of GE's 139 plants across the U.S. and delivered thousands of speeches to approximately a quarter million employees. Afraid of flying at the time, Reagan traveled by train. The long rides afforded him the opportunity to read right-wing fare, including the journal's human events and Reader's Digest books, such as Whitaker Chambers' Witness and F.A. Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, and his favorite bi-weekly periodical, The National Review. Reagan looked back on his GE years as a postgraduate course in political science and an apprenticeship for public life, unquote. Reagan's GE speeches had three basic themes. General Electric was a great place to work, unions were bad, and communism was trying to take over America and get workers to believe the first two things were not true. If you have seen 30 Rock, you are familiar with the kind of ray thing Reagan was trying to instill in the workers of General Electric. This is a Six Sigma wheel of domination. It's a motivational tool I used back at GE, and it will be replacing Cable Town's uh, kitten and spaghetti. In those very well-compensated speeches, Reagan's lingering drops of New Deal liberalism were slurped away like Nancy. Dave! Dave, no! Fine, fine. Let's just say he became committed to the ideals he would go on to represent as believing when he ran for later political office. And those speeches culminated in what came to be known as the speech where Ronald Reagan endorsed Barry Goldwater for president in 1964. Property or business to impose socialism on a people? What does it mean whether you hold the deed to the, or the title to your business or property if the government holds the power of life and death over that business or property and such machinery already exists the government can find some charge to bring against any concern it chooses to prosecute every businessman has his own tale of harassment 
Somewhere a perversion has taken place. Our natural unalienable rights are now considered to be a dispensation of government. And freedom has never been so fragile, so close to slipping from our grasp as it is at this moment. This speech titled A Time for Choosing was mostly right-wing masturbatory fantasy and capitalist agitprop delivered by a competent public speaker with thousands of hours of speechifying under his belt. It didn't help Barry Goldwater, who uh, had Lyndon Johnson wipe the floor with him during the 64 election. But here's the thing. Ronnie wasn't really endorsing Barry Goldwater in that speech. What was he doing? That speech, filled with all that bullshit, was Reagan's coming out party because he wasn't there to tell you about how great Barry Goldwater was. He was there to be being an insatiable cock tease because after his years of stumping around for GE and being the supporting actor, Ronald Reagan was ready for his close up. He was running for office. In 1966, Ronald Reagan announced that he would be running for the governor of the great state of California. That state was not the hotbed of libtard pedophile kleptocrats that it is today, pod friends, being, for the most part, very much a swing state, and it didn't become Democratic stronghold until 1992. In 66, incumbent Governor Pat Brown had been extremely popular in the state, trouncing none other than Dick Nixon in the 1962 governor's race. He was even considered as a running mate for Johnson in 64, but by 1966, he was in trouble. He had promised not to seek a third term, and here he was seeking a third term. The growing campus protest movement of the 60s didn't like his politics, but the nail in Pat Brown's political coffin was the Watts riot. The Watts riot made the Rodney King riots look like a silent vigil held by nuns in comparison, and it scared the ever-loving shit out of white people. Look, you're scaring the white people. And scared white people were the target Reagan voter. Quoting from Wikipedia, quote, Reagan's general election opponent Pat Brown attempted to label Reagan as an extremist and tout his own accomplishment. Reagan portrayed himself as a political outsider and charged Brown as responsible for the Watts riots and lenient on crime. In numerous speeches, Reagan hit the Brown administrations about high taxes, uncontrolled spending, the radicals at the University of California, Berkeley, and the need for accountability in government. Meanwhile, Many in the press perceived Reagan as monumentally ignorant of state issues. Though a guy named Lou Cannon said that Reagan benefited from an appearance he and Brown made on Meet the Press in September of that year. Ultimately, Reagan won the governorship with 57% of the vote compared to Brown's 42, unquote. Reagan came into office and immediately began working on his two main goals, balancing the budget and reducing the deficit. All things that Ronald Reagan liked to say he did while doing the exact opposite. What was interesting was Reagan's chosen method for balancing the budget and reducing the deficit. He raised taxes. He did what now? Yeah, he raised taxes. Or from Wikipedia, quote, as a result, taxes on sales, banks, corporate profits, inheritances, liquor, and cigarettes jumped. Historian Kevin Starr states Reagan gave California the biggest tax hike in history and got away with it, unquote. If you are confused as to how the president that slashed taxes and drove up the United States budget deficit to historical proportion is the same one that was the governor of California, you need to know that at that point in time, Reagan still had some modicum of principles. I assure you, he tossed those aside as soon as it became politically convenient. 
I mean, Ronald Reagan. I mean, Ronald Reagan was kind of a liberal when it comes to being governor. He passed one of the strictest gun control laws in United States history. No fucking no way. No fucking way. Yeah. But that was really only because black people realized the Second Amendment applied to them as well, and white people got fucking scared. You scared the white people. It banned public carry of weapons and instituted a 15-day waiting period on all firearms purchases. Reagan's gun law was the impetus for the NRA beginning its long campaign to get as many Americans killed by guns as possible. And credit where credit is due, it's one of the most successful programs of mass murder not involved during an actual war in human history. Dare to dream big, folks. Hell, Reagan even signed an abortion law in 1967. Just not the kind of law you think he did because it expanded abortion access. Mind blown. Yeah, providing legal abortions in the case of rape, incest, and to save the life of a mother. Although, in later years, Reagan regretted his one tiny act of human decency. Now, lest you think Big Ron was all liberal and such, he also gutted state welfare programs, closed state-funded mental hospitals, which directly contributed to California having so many fun serial killers during his time as governor and afterwards. And if you doubt me on that one, look up the name Richard Chase. He cut school funding and primary and secondary education because an educated voter is a Democratic voter. In response to student protests on campus, he turned loose the California National Guard, saying, quote, if it takes a bloodbath, let's get it over with. No more appeasement, unquote. Yes, that is a direct quote from Ronald fucking Reagan. Less than a month after Reagan said that, National Guard troops massacred unarmed students in Kent State in Ohio. Reagan reportedly said, Ah, Q, I'm so jealous. I am so jealous. But throughout all of this, Ron kept his eyes on the big prize, the presidency. He was an unofficial candidate in the GOP primary of 1968, where he hoped to win enough delegates to be seen as a compromise candidate to Nixon in a broker convention, but Nixon had the votes. In 1976, he went all in on a primary challenge against incumbent Gerald Ford. Running to the right of Ford, Reagan began his first dalliances with the shittiest wing of the GOP. This is when his true colors came shining through. He used black people to scare white people. And I mean, it... It worked. It worked great from California. Again, from Wikipedia, quote, beginning with New Hampshire, he popularized the welfare queen narrative about Linda Taylor, exaggerating her misuse of welfare benefits and igniting voter resentment of welfare reform. But he never overtly mentioned her race. He just sort of hinted at it. In California, Reagan referred to a man morphing into a strapping young buck after buying steaks with food stamps. Steaks are, are food, just, I, I just want you to know that. Which became an example of dog whistle politics. Uniting with Jesse Holmes' political machine that viciously attacked Ford, Reagan won an upset victory, convincing party delegates that Ford's nomination was no longer guaranteed. Reagan won subsequent victories in Texas, Alabama, Georgia, Indiana by continuing to attack social programs, opposing forced busing, accumulating support from declining George Wallace presidential campaign, unquote. George Wallace and Jesse Holmes, for you youngins, we're virulent racist and complete sacks of shit in every way imaginable, just like Ronald Reagan. And though Ford managed to squeak through the nomination, Reagan would go on to stab him in the back during the convention by giving a speech that pretty much implied that they had nominated the wrong guy and this guy was going to go on to lose to Jimmy Carter, which admittedly is exactly what happened, but Ford always blamed Reagan for that speech because Reagan 
was definitely fucking over Ford when he gave it. Which set up 1980, where Reagan would face also against Carter for president. And that's where we'll pick up next week for part two of the many lives and lives of Ronald Wilson Reagan. That is it for our show this week. 400 fucking episodes. Can you believe that shit? I mean, who does that? I mean, who does it for so little money? And who listens to 400 episodes of it? Well, if you heard the uh, piece that we put out as a little bonus episode, all the people telling me how much they, uh, they love the show, many people don't even bother to listen. I respect them for that. I want to thank all of you for going on this journey with us from our rocky starts to the darkness of the Trump years and into our current iteration of a comedy history podcast or a history comedy podcast or whatever this dumb fucking show is. Rate us and review us, all that good shit that we ask of you each week. Kick us a buck on patreon.com slash what the hell podcast to get us to episode 500. God, I don't know if any of us can stand another 100 episodes, but seeing as I have zero life, we probably will. Do all the things that Jeremy tells you to do in the closing, otherwise he'll be forced to record more congratulations speeches, and he kind of hates doing them. So for me, Dave, I'm actually in physical pain from doing research on this Reagan guy, Bledsoe, producer. You know, I still have a lot of respect for Margaret Thatcher. Gavin, and all the fictional Reagan Democrats at the show, we want to say, fuck you, Dutch. Just fuck you. Really hate this fucking guy. We'll see you all next week. Minor motion picture fame that called him Ron. Ronald Reagan. He starred in movies with the chimpanzee. And in a western series on TV. He spoke for Goldwater with rhetorical zip. And he coasted to the California governorship. They called him Ron. Ronald Reagan. Texas got entirely out of hand. What the hell were you thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What The Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.